0: And welcome to episode number nine of the Insignificant Others Podcast. I'm Brett Featherston, and I'm happy you're joining us. Please visit us at facebook.com slash podcast and let us know what you think. Our guest today is Ryan Birdman Parrott. He is one of the most inspirational guests we've had. He's a former Navy SEAL and is author of Sons of the Flag, a book about true stories of U.S. war veterans. And he's founder and CEO of Sons of the Flag, an organization dedicated to helping burn survivors. We're going to hear his story and how he got involved with burn survivors, extreme sports, and how he got the nickname Birdman. But before we do that, let me introduce my co-host, Rob Flynn.
1: Hey, Brett. Hey, Rob. How are you? Good to see you. Good to see you. It's been about, what, three weeks? Maybe maybe a month?
0: Since our last podcast? Since our last podcast. Yes.
1: Long overdue, my friend, long overdue. I'm actually very excited to to be here tonight and to have Ryan join us. Uh, I'm going to start off with my uh, my quick points for this podcast. I've got four. I'm going to start off with George Kennedy. Do you do you know who George Kennedy is?
0: Yeah, you're going to say that he's famous for certain movies, but I think he's most famous for uh, the Naked Gun movies. Yes,
1: the Naked <laughs> Gun. He, he, he's an actor, so you know who he is. He's an actor... Uh, Famously known for his roles in the movie uh, the Dirt, The Dirty Dozen, which is one of my favorite movies of all time, Naked Gun. But I chuckled when I when I looked this up online before the podcast, Naked Gun Two and a Half, and then the third installment of that franchise, which was Naked Gun Thirty Three and a Third. Right, and right. So completely forgot about that. But he he's he's most well known for his role in Cool Hand Luke, which which is absolutely. In my top five movies of all time, uh, and he won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor in that movie. And and you know I, I can't get the scene out of my head where Cool Hand Luke eats the fifty eats all the eggs, the fifty eggs. Yeah, and I can just hear him, you know, Attaboy Luke, we yeah. eat them eggs, Luke. <laughs> and I just I just I just love that character. And and I I'll leave my George Kennedy point off by saying Attaboy George, may you rest in peace. So. Sorry to, to hear that he left us. Uh, my other point is Snapchat. I cannot stand Snapchat, and and for all of the reasons that all of our parents in our listening audience, friends of ours, uh, they hate Snapchat as well. Uh, it's on my my older son's phone, and it's I hate it. Not not. Um, or specifically for the for a reason that many people may not think about and that's why I wanted to bring it up but I hate it because I think that our kids now believe that words and actions no longer have meaning there's there's no permanence yeah and 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 I think that kids I mean you're you're nowadays I think kids should learn that your words and actions you know do have meaning that you have to stand behind them um, and i and i cannot stand that thing and i i literally along with the 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 iphone and then the xbox wanted to just banish those three items from the face of the earth I'm with you My next point so do you watch House of Cards
0: I do I so i binge watched the first two seasons Uh-huh and absolutely loved it, and then I took a break, and I started getting back into it about three weeks ago. So, so but I'm not caught up, so don't give, oh, anything I, I'm not, okay, I'm not give
1: anything away. Okay, I'm not going to give anything away, but season four was recently released by Netflix, and, and, and it got me to thinking, is, is the show really good? Does the show stand up on its own, or do people think that it's good because they have the ability to binge-watch it?
0: It, great question. I, I think it's good because I love Kevin Spacey and, and Robin Wright. Oh my goodness, what is she fifty now? And she's she, absolutely she, gorgeous.
1: Robin, Robin Wright. Excuse me, Robin Wright looks very good. Yeah. And what's it, President Francis? I forgot his last name. Yeah. I, 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 nowadays, I wonder if he would make a, a, a more viable presidential option than what we've got on the table today.
0: But, yeah. At least we know what his warts are. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Yes. But, but I'm, I'm on the fence of it isn't a good show. I think that it's average at best. And, and the reason why it is good is because we can binge watch it.
0: So it was better, I'll say, when I first started watching it than it is now. But the other one I'll say on Netflix that is really good is Bloodline.
1: Very good. And that comes out in June.
0: The next episode?
1: I think May or June. Yes. So Fantastic. are you happy? Yeah, you can yeah, binge watch happy. that yes. too? And then my last point is is what I call men playing games and and by that uh, I, 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 I'm going to exclude games or sports like golf or riding a bike whether it's a road bike or a mountain bike or if you're a runner but men playing games where there are teams involved and there's a score involved and there's a clear winner and a clear loser so during spring break, which we were together yep. with some of our friends uh, on spring break, we played beach volleyball. Now, I know for some of the people in our listening audience who know us, that may be a very scary thought. Yeah, and I'm it, not, it wasn't two-on-two. Two. It was four-on-four. <laughs> four. Four. We even played, I think, six-on-six. Six. But, but that was a blast. We had fun. I thought that, that the, the quality of play... Was, was much better than, than I expected <laughs> was, going into it. I thought it
0: was... No, my expectations I, were very low. I, I, I and, thought it and was we, great. It, we excelled.
1: But after, but after every uh, team competition, if you will, when we were all in the water talking, there wasn't one person who didn't say, wow, that was fun. Yeah. Why don't we do that more often? talking about where we are in our station in life. You know, why don't we play softball? Why don't, yeah. we, why don't we get, you know, some kind of a full-court basketball team revved up? And, and I completely agree. Beca- it,
0: because the other topic when we got in the ocean to cool off was I couldn't believe this morning how sore my shoulder yeah, was. <laughs> that, was day, that was the day after.
1: But we played for like three days. Yeah. Which was great. So so I think, I think my call to action to our listening audience, is if if you're a middle-aged man, uh, and 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 you haven't played beach volleyball or picked up some kind of a team sport, we encourage you to do it um, because that's something that I'm going to take away from that vacation and try to apply it in my own life. So, so Ryan, I I, I turn it to you, and, and you're probably chuckling at our at our banter here because you know we are not Navy SEALs and we do not jump out of planes or off you know crevices. Ten thousand feet up, or fly in a wingsuit. But but, do you play any games? Do
2: do you play a team sport? <laughs> That's funny. Uh, we actually in the teams played a lot of volleyball. Okay. So I actually dig it. I think it's really cool. And I, you know, the middle aged male thing. I think that you know you can play it. I always wanted to be Goose and Maverick. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, and in the Navy, I still did not even get to be that. So well, well one
0: of the funny things is. Rob downloaded the whole Top Gun soundtrack the second day. <laughs> I did. So we we I got did. out there and blasted it on the speaker as we're playing. And you should Please.
1: have seen the, the look on these people's faces as as we were playing the music and then that playing volleyball. I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> that
0: was that was, but it was fun. I would fun. say in general we looked like. Fat Goose and Fat Maverick. Interesting. Yeah.
2: Interesting. Did you end up going to your jets afterwards, though? That would be the key. Yeah. that's <laughs> <laughs> I hopped on my
0: motorcycle and cool.
1: went to go see my girlfriend. There you go. Yeah. Yes.
2: yes. Who okay. was also my teacher. Yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> because
1: you were inverted, right? <laughs> yes. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> yes.
0: All right. So we're going to get into your story now, Ryan. So uh, you grew up in Detroit. Yes, sir. Tell me about growing up in Detroit because from, from – my mind, I think of that as kind of the hard streets. We were talking a little bit before we started here. And you said you had a really nice upbringing, and you know, tell us a little bit about growing up in Detroit.
2: Yeah, I mean, I've, from when I can remember in Detroit, it was uh, somewhat similar to what it is today. You know, it's um, it's unfortunate what's happened to the economy out there, but uh, there was a lot of buildings that were broken down structures. Uh, my family, actually, my grandfather was a Detroit fireman for 30 years after World War II. Uh, so he really saw the heyday uh, during the Depression. And, uh, you know, me living there until we ended up moving to the suburbs, it was hard. I mean, there was danger. It's, it's still, I mean, it was consistent through my life there. And so that's pretty much why everybody got out of Detroit. But, you know, it's when you go to public schools out there, you know, you get the best that you can. But I moved around quite a bit. Both of my parents were divorced. Um, so, back and forth. And we finally settled in a, in a school location uh, called Clinton Township. Um, and I just had no interest, no motivations. Um, there was really nothing that I wanted to learn. Nothing interested me. I always liked history, uh, but not enough to study for it. You <laughs> <Yeah. know? laughs> so, it was, uh, it was an interesting deal. So, you went to the SEALs right after high school? You know, it's, so it's an interesting story. My uh, teacher was a motivational psychology teacher, on my, he was in my junior year. He was a Marine of Vietnam, and he said there was only one thing better than the Marine Corps, and that was the U.S. Navy SEALs. And when I give my speeches today, I talk about that pinnacle moment in my life because, first of all, no Marine will ever tell you that anything's better. <laughs> I promise you that. And uh, number two, you know, I believe that teachers not only speak to the entire class, but they speak individually uh, so that they can really segregate students like myself to, uh, you know, kick butt. And... So I listened to him that day, and I was so riveted by what he said. Now, of course, he made it sound like Navy SEALs live on the moon, and they breathe water, which I assure you we do. But <laughs> it was so riveting that I said, you know what? That's exactly what I think I can do. Uh, no track record approving proving I could, but I stayed up for class, asked him some questions. And uh, the only thing that we really had back then to really learn about the community was a Reader's Digest magazine, a couple pages long, that talked about the toughest school. So I read it and I was completely drawn to it. That was everything for me. So that that little flip just turned right on and I was in. And so, you know, nine eleven was really the precursor to getting me going though. Uh nine eleven happened right after that and I so said, That's it, I'm doing this. And so, you know, went over to the recruiter station, tried to sign up, I was too young. Um, my dad actually had to help me go sign up. And then I had to finish school because in order to get in the military you have to have a diploma or GED. Yeah. So, but I got myself, uh, got my accol- or my uh, academics up enough to graduate. Actually, finished off on the honor roll, go figure. And then uh, <laughs> it's the way you finish. Yeah. You finally had motivation. <laughs> finally yeah. got it. I was like, yeah. well, there's got to be something there. And uh, yeah, got into the Navy, and there we go. Now,
0: talk a little bit. You, you said something earlier uh, before we started recording here about people don't become Navy SEALs, you're born a Navy SEAL. It's, yeah. You've always had it. Do you think that drive was always in you? It just had to be the SEALs to bring it out? I think so.
2: Yeah, in fact, I know so. You know, it's when I played sports on a team, and that's the big thing is most SEALs, if not all, because I haven't asked every single one, but the majority of the SEALs, we were born to be on teams. We love being part of a team because we know that it takes a team to win. And so we love that part of it. Um, in, when I played competitive sports, mostly mine was ice hockey, Michigan, you know, D-Town, we got Detroit Red Wings. Yeah. Um, that was it for me. And when I was part of a team, I tried my best every single game. Wasn't the best hockey player, but I sure thought I was because I played that hard. And uh, when I just converted that over to the SEAL teams, but joining the team really it just gives you this understanding that, you know, I was born to be here. You know, it's you don't show up and get the certificate. Congratulations, you're a Navy SEAL. You walk in the door, Navy SEAL. They're just gonna give you a certificate at the end of the day, pat you on the back, say, Hey, show up to your SEAL team. But you were already born a SEAL. I mean, it's a mentality thing. Right. Yeah. So,
1: let's give let's give our audience some context here because you you uh, went through basic training, correct? And then you then you went to Bud School uh, or BUDS Training, excuse me. Uh, And how old were you at the time that you you got to Buds? So I went to Seal Training at twenty years old. Twenty, and then and then what's what's the average you know age
2: of of your fellow? Uh, seals who show up. Uh, when I for went buzz through training. the program, I heard that the average age was about twenty four, twenty five. Okay. Um, but I mean, I so you were you were you were one of the younger? Yeah, that by far people amongst your peers. That's right.
1: Okay, that's amazing.
2: Yeah, it's. I mean, I, I I attribute a lot of making it through the program because I was too young and too dumb to know better. True. <laughs> yeah. So I just followed the lead. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. That can help you.
0: Yeah. So you were a SEAL for eight years. Is that two enlistments and deployments? What, I mean, what's the proper terminology, or Correct. is that the normal? Yeah,
2: so you do a four-year enlistment to start, and then you re-up for another four. Um, in okay. the Navy, in the SEAL team, is a little different, you know, so you basically have to sign a certain commitment upon making it. And so you know, it's just if you sign your commitment, we had another two years left on mine. So to sign up again, it would have been an eight-year deal. So the reason I did eight is because I just had too much fun with four, you know. Yeah, I couldn't stop. <laughs> so in that
0: eight years, you were in Iraq most of the time on your deployments, plus some other areas. That's correct. Yeah, Iraq was our primary mission. So that was after when Saddam Hussein was taken down. That's right. Okay. Yeah. And in two thousand and five, you were riding in a Humvee. Tell it. Tell us about this,
2: sure, so we were coming off a mission, and you know like I, I could say, a mission it was really bogus, it was nothing, but we were coming back, and you know you always have to expect the unexpected because it can hit you at any point in any time. Now, we were driving down route, Michigan, which at that point in time was the deadliest road in Iraq, and it's kind of funny because that's where I'm from, <laughs> yeah, so I tie in those to find irony. there you go, um, but we were about three and a half clicks south of our actual base and We hit a roadside bomb. Um, And the only way I can describe it to really give it context is that, you know, I've ridden a bull before in Texas. Because when I said I came to Texas, I'm going to ride a bull. (laughs) (laughs) And I rode a 2,200-pound bull. And that IED made that bull feel like I was sitting on a pillow. Wow. It was the most barbaric, violent action you could possibly imagine. Wow. Wow. And it's not just a boom, but what comes with the boom is the fact that there is frags spewing out in every direction. There is a complete fireball taking over the cockpit. The front end of the Hummer was completely decimated and lifted off. It was complete night, too. And then there is what happened to my teammates. Yeah. There's dust everywhere. There's sand. It's a rack. You just don't know. Where are my guys? Now, Where, where were you in the humvee at the time that the ied went off so i was in the turret in the top part i was the gunner and so there were five of us in the hummer and i was lucky um i took the path of least resistance so when it blew us up it blew me straight out of the turret and that's how i got my nickname Birdman. was going for a flight um there's speculation as to how far i went sometimes (laughs) to some of my buddies i'll say i went a thousand feet or so and landed on my feet but ultimately, it blew me up over the top of it and then onto the ground. And, you know, it takes you a second to get your composure back because, I mean, it rattled our chain. You know, everybody in the car had TBI that day or traumatic brain injury. Um, and so, you know, you take that woe is me for a second. You're like, holy cow. I remember thinking back that day, and while I was in the middle of it, there was all the soot that had spewed up onto my face. And so I was touching my face, and the first thing I thought was, oh, my God, my face is gone. And now if you think about that, You're in the middle of Iraq. You've got no mirrors around you. You've got no relaxation there. So of course you're gonna think that. And something that I grew up priding myself on because we have what we have. This is what I look like. I'm I'm accustomed to it. And now it's taken from me. And so you can't just figure it out. But you have that split second moment where you think that, and then all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute here, what just happened? Where are my guys at? You know, and so you just Completely forget what you got going on. It's not a heroism thing. It's just nature for a warrior. You go out there and you do the job. You don't complain about it. You just do the work. You get home. So I ran over to my teammate, and he was hurt way worse than I was. So at that point in time, I forgot about my injuries. We fixed him up, got him in the car, and we had a lucky deal. 22 minutes, everybody was under the knife getting surgery.
1: And, and then of the five uh, soldiers who were in the Humvee, all five survived?
2: That's God, baby. That's, that's incredible. Yeah,
1: and so what? What injuries did you incur? So or what, I, what kind or what kinds of surgeries were performed on you?
2: Depends on who you ask. If you ask my teammates, they say I got better looking. <laughs> <laughs> so, but for me, I uh, sustained first, second degree burns. Uh, very small percentage of my body. I'd say five to ten percent. Um, so face, hands, um, first degree and first degree heels, like a blister. Um, and so so when home. you
0: landed after you got shot out of the turret. Were you on fire at that time?
2: The fire had already gone past me, so it was an explosion, but it was a flashover, so it was a a combustion blast that just hit me, and it went right through. Wow. So, But I was lucky, because like I said, I took the path of least resistance. Everybody else in the Hummer was stuck in there, and they had to get out, so they Mm. got engulfed. Mm. Yeah. So
0: help me understand IEDs, because I've heard that term a lot. Was this like something that uh, some Iraqi made and just stuck in the ground and you roll over it and it goes off or do they have to detonate it how does that work
2: yeah so back in the back in i say back in the day you five which was back in the day for this war is crazy to think about um they are they they'd make them out of the stuff called they we called it hme homemade explosives and so anything they get their hands on to make something that would blow us up they're going to do it uh, problem is they're not scientists they're actually morons and so when they build this stuff they build it every which way and nine times out of ten it doesn't even go off or if it goes off it goes off 500 feet in front of you so you're just laughing when you see this explosion you drive right through it Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes I get lucky the reason that we all survived and lived through this thing was because they screwed up on building it see it went low order Uh, our EOD guys which are explosive ordnance disposal guys they actually told us that because they found fragmentation of the explosion that that means it went low order didn't hit its potency its max potency so had it been built right who knows what the outcome would have been? But right, hey, I'm not I, good on them for screwing up. Yeah. Right, we're back in the game. Wow. So
1: when when you uh, went through that ordeal, um, and as you were recovering, was that the, the the time during which you decided to leave military active duty, or did you stay in after
2: that? So, yeah, I stayed in and I did a couple more deployments to Iraq after that. Wow. I, just, I didn't know that. Yeah. So, I mean, I just, like I said, I was having too much fun. You know, I still have all my fingers, toes, and all that. And once they had hit me and I was like, they got one on me, I got to get one on them at minimum. Now, so,
1: I can understand that. Could you have had the opportunity to to walk away after that? Or, or are you still bound to? you know the the term of the agreement that you had signed to serve
2: yeah i would still have to fulfill the obligation you still would have
1: but you mm-hmm. could have you could have done it stateside or no oh yeah sure okay yeah which uh, where i'm getting to is that that you you know obviously it's it's amazing you know and you're not alone but you're one of them the 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 heroism and the bravery of, of folks like you who who experience something as traumatic as that but then instead of saying i want to take it easy you know stateside I want to go back over there and 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 get mine. So that's, well, that's incredible.
2: I appreciate you saying that. You know, it's one thing that people don't understand who haven't been over to Iraq is that it was a lot more simplex for us. You yeah. know, it's I don't know, it's different for guys like us who join and do that specific job. But when you're over there, you're on one mission. You don't have to deal with emails. You don't have to deal with you know phone calls and text messages. When you're talking about Snapchat earlier, I don't even know what Snapchat is. That's but, a good thing. Yes, I, I just hearing you talk about it. I'm not. I'm not going to do it. But uh, we didn't have those things, and, and life is so much simpler over there because all you're focusing on is making sure your guys are okay and you're doing your job that you went over there to do. Yeah. So you don't have to worry about all the bull crap like we have here. You know, I, I remember seeing a TV one time, and they were showing stuff on whoever it was, Tom Cruise or somebody famous, and I'm like, who cares? Right. And we went back to our job, and we didn't focus on this stuff. We come back here, and it's just like, wow, it was so much easier over there. Yeah, we do have those times where it's rough. Yeah. But nine times out of ten for, you know, a unit like ours, it's just too much fun. I mean that.
0: <laughs> so in oh five, you were over there with Chris Kyle, American Sniper book, movie and everything. When you were with him, was he the legend at that time that he became
2: later? You know, ever since I had joined the community, because he was in before me, um, I'd heard about his name. Um, his platoon was there, and when we had come into country, uh, we just did like us. Um, what they called the a turnover. And so they were getting ready to leave. We were just incoming. So we do, you know, we just meet up, hang out, um, on base and that. And yeah, I got some time with him while I'm sitting there with him. He didn't have, you know, the list of accolades he has now. Um, but he was still a legend then. I mean, he still had this, you know, I don't know, draw to him. He had this aura about him and I'll tell you what, he was a lot skinnier. You know, he was still, he was still a Texan and still chewing his tobacco and, you know, he's quiet and humble. And, uh, Yeah, it's just cool, but I mean, the unique thing about the community is, you know, you hear about certain guys, you know, because of their their list of accolades, but there are so many of those, not just in our community, but in the military, that, and that's what I'm lucky, that's just the luckiest thing I've ever been, is I get to meet these guys and these heroes, and not only see these heroes in action, but call them my brothers. Uh, There are many of them that you'll never hear their stories, you'll never know what they did, and they're still up to that same level. But they're just silent professionals that do their job, and it's really cool. Yeah. So
1: are you are you frustrated with the direction of where uh, the war is heading? Um, you know, what are your thoughts? And I don't want to you know make this a political commentary unless you want to make it that. But you know what? I mean, you you you've you've sacrificed. You've spent time over there. You understand the the environment. What what are you? What are your thoughts on where we're heading? Yeah, it's uh.
2: So I'm very frustrated. Um, we worked really hard over there, mm-hmm. and I say we, as the United States military, we worked really hard over there, and we lost a lot of our brothers and sisters over there. And to give it all up and to let it get taken taken back over by bad guys, mm-hmm. uh, it's just unacceptable, you know. You know, bottom line is we need stronger leadership that supports us getting in there, doing the job and then coming home. Yeah. And so if we're going to go over there, we need to make as big of an impact as we can in a short period of time and then write it off. And if we're not going to play that game, then we might as well not be there. I, I just, I worry that we're going to go over there and there's going to be hesitation while over there and it ends up getting more people killed. Mm-hmm. You know, we are trained to do one job and we should be able to do it
1: in your opinion do you think that let's say we went over there with the force um that 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 you you would like to see um and we we gain greater control do you think the the the, the people's of let's say Iraq or even Afghanistan um are capable uh of of establishing a government that that the United States of America would like to see there
2: is it within them no, I mean but we have every single place we've ever gone to for a conflict or war, we've never just completely left. No, sure. I mean so we're always there, we have a contingency there so they always know, don't screw with us, don't screw this up. You've been given a grace here. Yeah. You know, let's do it right now. But we've never completely left and so, you know, leaving a contingency there and liaisons to actually help them build that over time is an absolute goal. Okay. I mean that would be the smarter and that would have been the ultimate outcome and that's just me, Joe Schmo, operator, who failed every subject in school from Detroit, Michigan, who says that. You figure that. You're these not Joe eggs, Schmo. You, yeah. You, you've,
1: you've earned the right to, to, to say whatever you want. Well, sure. so I appreciate it. We're, we're Joe Schmos. Yeah.
0: That's why we're the insignificant others. <laughs> yeah. uh, so. so what brought you to Texas after your deployments?
2: I heard this was the Patriot State of shooting stuff. There so, you go. Uh, <laughs> I came here. It, it is. So... So you get back over here now. Was did the
0: book Sons of the Flag come before the organization? No, so the organization came first. So what? Because I want to talk about the book because the, the the little bit I know about it, it it's it's fascinating to me, and uh, I'll share a story about that later. But um, what got you? Uh, what made you decide you wanted to help burn victims?
2: So when I moved to Dallas, Texas. I had an initial meeting with an army ranger. Uh, we were just a bunch of uh, different veterans who were sitting in a room shooting the shit. And from that moment, when talking with all these guys, I noticed his injuries. And it had been an injury that I'd really never seen up close and personal after the fact. And he was severely burned. And when you see these things, usually it's you know a gunshot wound, it's a blast wound, but you're missing a limb or you just, Big burn overseas looks like a sunburn when it initially happens. Seeing it years later and seeing the decimation, it instantly brought me back to when I got injured. And I thought about it, and I was like, "My God, that's horrific! Like that's it. that that poor guy that that poor guy has been injured." And I was like, "Surely, with the advancements in prosthetics, there's something for these guys who get burned." And so I point blank asked him, "Hey, what are they doing for you guys today?" And he had told me a little bit of his story, said he'd been through three dozen surgeries already. Uh, that's where he currently stood, and that is as good as it gets for him. So when he said that, I was like, you know what? There's got to be something more there. I'm going to go home tonight. I'm going to grab a bottle of Jack Daniels. I'm going to sit at my computer all night, and I'm going to read, and I'm going to figure something out. And I didn't go to sleep that night. And I, When I came around the next morning, I went to work, and I said, you know what? I didn't find him anything. I was hoping that I could just find him something cool, care how much it costs, we'll put, you know, GoFundMe page together or something, raise him the money, go get him the fix, get the soldier back on his feet. He wasn't complaining, but I was. Couldn't find him anything. So I called him the next day and I was like, hey man, I don't know if you remember me from yesterday, but I was looking for some research on burn care and I really couldn't find anything to give you. So if I were to start something on your behalf, would you join me? And he goes, Man, I'd be honored. I was like, that's all I need. It's all I need, right? Because that's what we do. We formulate teams and we go kick ass for a mission. So I called up all the business guys I knew in Dallas, a bunch of firemen, a bunch of military guys, and said, hey, this is what we're going to do. We're starting an org to help burn patients out. Don't know what it looks like. Don't even know the first thing about business, but I know how to get things done. I'll figure it out. Who's with me? And everybody raised their hand. So January 2012, we initially started Sons of the Flag to be the resource for burn survivors. And it was unique because when we first started the org, we were like, okay, where do we go from here? Which is the pinnacle question that every burn patient asks after the fact. Where do I go next? Mm -hmm. What's next for me? And so it was a fact-finding mission at that point. The unique thing about our organization, though, is it grew nationally before it grew locally. I had a fireman out of Baltimore, Maryland reach out to me on LinkedIn, said, hey, man, I love what you're doing. Um, I got three boys in the service. I'm a fireman. I love to be involved. I was like, Roger that, bro. Let's do it. And so we initially. And, and
1: that's the other thing, too. It's first responders in addition to veterans. Uh, veterans. Yes. Yeah. Right? So Sons it's, of the
2: Flag actually tailors to all burn patients. Okay. So it's military, first responder, civilian, both pediatric and adult. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's, a, that's a, a wide net. It's a wide, but it's a very niche injury. No, absolutely. Yeah. And it's a burn is a burn. Yeah. No matter what we, imp, you know, however we implement help. It's going to trickle to everybody, so it's important that we just cover down on the mass.
0: Yeah, I was surprised that uh, at the numbers in the USA, about four hundred and fifty thousand people a year suffer from burn injuries. That's right. That's amazing,
2: and that can be every degree. So you got about forty. So what they statistically say about forty thousand people out of that that received lifelong treatment, third degree and worse, that will be with a doctor for the rest of their life. And that's what's unique to me about it is. First and second degree burns heal. Third degree and worst need tending. And so I'm really focusing on the stuff that doesn't heal because we're so far behind the power curve right now as a pure example of why we started the organization for this Army Ranger that we can actually, in our lifetime, fix that 40,000 number. That's a tangible number. So our organization set up to do a multiple of things, but our primary mission is to hire these doctors, their fellows, so they're in the residency, to actually implement research and development and forward the patient care. And so it's a fraction of the cost of what research and development would normally cost. And so we've been very fortunate. We started our first fellow at Harvard, um, smashing job. And then our second fellow is at UT Southwestern Parkland in Dallas, Texas. And now we're being asked by four different burn units to do a fellow. So it's just exponentially growing. That's incredible. So the more doctors we hire, the more patients we're gonna fix out of that 40,000.
0: That's, that's wonderful. And, and so after starting the organization, you wrote a book, Sons of the Flag. I did. Tell uh, us a little bit about that book.
2: So, you know, the Sons of the Flag, the name is actually a poem written in World War I based off the Civil War. It talks about the North and the South fighting against each other. And at the end of the day, coming together as one, the USA. And I think that's really cool because, you know, that's what we are in the military. We're from all over the country, North, South, East, West. And we come together as one to do one mission. And it's such a powerful name. And that's what we do at our organization. We bring doctors and patients together from all around the country. So I just, this name sticks with me. It's, it's, and I'm super pro-American. I don't know if you guys could tell. <laughs> but when we, dis, we decided to do this book, we came out with this idea. You know, I said there are so many guys writing books right now and you know, for whatever reason they do it, okay, I'm all about a guy succeeding in life, cool, tell your story bro, you know, within reason, no secret stuff but one question is always missed or the answer to this question is always missed, it's we always talk about what we do but the one question that needs to be answered that people need to understand is why do we do what we do and that's a fascinating one so I would give you the answer right now but you might want to read the book to find (laughs) out. But the unique thing about the book was when I went to go answer that question myself and I dug deep to find out why I did what I did to really you know, explain that to people, I felt like a hypocrite because now I'm speaking for the United States military, past, present, and future. So I'm not the only one who can answer that question. So then I was on a hunt to recruit and I recruited a soldier from every war from World War II to present day. So it goes all the way back to World War II, one soldier by one soldier telling us why they did what they did in service. And one thing that I really wanted to touch on was the New York firefighters. During 9-11, those guys were at war. I mean, a war that we can't even fathom. Our kids don't even know that 9-11 existed. And so I wanted two of those guys from New York Fire to tell their story of why they did what they did. Because when you think about it, why does a soldier run into that house when they know that there's an active shooter on the other side? Why does a firefighter run into a blazing building when they, don't know, when they know that people might not be in there? So... Gives you something to taste uh and, and, it's, to- and it's all pretty much the same answer, right? That's right. Yeah. That's right. But it gives you something to noodle on and think about, and you can always go purchase a book at Amazon. They're out there for $500. <laughs> it's
0: called Sons of the Flag, but... Sons of the Flag, available on Amazon. So you're talking about World War II, and I know you did a uh, an event with... Uh, a skydiving event with veterans, with some World War II veterans. I was at... Uh, Oh, this is probably seven, eight years ago. It was at LaGuardia Airport in New York. And it was weird because it it wasn't normal security. They had So if you've been out to welcome the uh, veterans in out at DFW, you've got all these bikers out there that are there every single time I've done it. And they had all these bikers in LaGuardia Airport, and they had this whole table set up with treats and snacks and stuff. American Airlines actually chartered a jet for... Medal of Honor winners to go down to D.C., I think it was close to Memorial Day weekend. And they, they said on the announcement, said instead of just our normal boarding procedure, we're going to call everybody up by name. And so the vast majority, this is you know several years ago, so there, there haven't been that many recent Medal of Honor winners since Obama's gotten into office. There's been three or four more. But before that, there was a huge gap and you see these little old men, most of them are from World War II, a few from Vietnam, with the, the blue ribbon and the medal around, and they walk up, and it, it brought me to tears right there, and the whole place is clapping. It's unbelievable. But when you were skydiving with these World War II veterans, what was that
2: like? Yeah, so it's, it was a unique deal. I said I wanted to come out the gates with our event, our first event for our organization, something powerful, something that unique that's never been done before. So I so said, let's do a legacy jump, which I, I said that to everybody, and everybody's like, what the hell is a legacy jump? Because I created it. <laughs> <laughs> but my idea of a legacy jump was getting a soldier from every war uh, together to jump out of a plane. So we had the entire 100 years of service all flying our colors together. Uh so when I went out on that recruiting platform, I can you can be assured that getting the answers from these World War II vets when I went down the path, I covered down. I found a, a soldier from Korea that was, Oh yeah, you just tell me when, bird, man, I'm there. He's a paratrooper <laughs> from way back in the day, Army Ranger. But World War II is so hard because they were older, they're fragile, and you can be assured that when some random cat from Dallas, Texas calls you, no matter where you're at in the country and says, Hey sir, do you want to make a skydive with me? They're like the hell with you, son. Yeah. <laughs> But what was unique and fascinating is I went through about 40 World War II veterans asking them and just to hear their stories. They all wanted to tell me their story, and I wrote them down. I was like, this is super cool because these stories are being lost. So I wrote them down, and, of course, getting to that number 40 mark or whatever, I just finally called my buddy at the VFW. I was like, hey, find me a World War II jumper that will jump out of a plane. And with one in one hour, he found me a guy from Detroit, Michigan, my hometown. Hmm. I talked to him. He was a B-17 ball turret gunner, did 27 combat missions, World War II. And I said, you got to be kidding me. So I talked to him on the phone. I said, hey, sir, I understand that you possibly want to make a skydive. And he goes, well, sure, why not? I said, unbelievable. And he had never done it before, right? 88 years old, never made a jump. His first skydive at 88 years old. You talk about a real hero. That's awesome. Never quits. It was the greatest generation. Greatest generation. No question. Mm. so how many people jumped that day we had let's see we had world war ii korea vietnam desert storm iraq afghanistan and then new york fire 9-11 so five six seven eight yeah that's amazing and then we brought the army golden knights in for that to uh, do the tandem for each jumper so yeah. i'm mean, jumping out of a dc3 which was epic nothing like being in a plane with a world war ii jumper in a world war ii plane getting ready to launch uh. i feel like you're going over normandy I can yeah. imagine. And you have to do it because no matter what, no matter how scared you are, you see a World War II jump out of a plane, you better believe you better be next. i <laughs> <laughs> yeah. let him there's show no, you there's nobody, there's nobody that's going to chicken out in out those right. circumstances. Even the pilot wanted to go. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's
0: great. So this is after the book was written? This was before the book was but, written. So you use some of these stories in
2: the book? Every single person who jumped that day are the stories of this book.
0: That's amazing. So it's on Amazon in where our listeners can go to buy this book. I found a comment by a reader, it's like three or four down, and I thought this was just kind of the the best comment anybody could give a book like this. Just somebody that bought the book commented on it, this book reaffirms that the American spirit is alive and well. Hmm. And that was, I thought, probably the best thing anybody could say about a book like this.
2: That's fantastic. That's great to hear. I mean, that's what we're shooting for, right? You know, we it, believe it. And... What was unique about this book that I like to mention is we didn't recruit, you know, war heroes and all that for this book. If you look at the back under the endorsement section, these are all my friends. And if you look in the book and you go through the stories, not all of them have Medal of Honors. One of them does, but it just happens to have a Medal of Honor. He's a friend. But everybody's in the book is just a Joe Schmo, operator, soldier, what have you, because it's, you know, they're the same everybody's the same, no matter what kind of medal or medallion you wear, we're all still the same. But to get the average soldier's comments on why they did what they did is what the military's founded on. That's what everybody is. And yeah. Sal Jinta, who's in the book, who's Medal of Honor recipient, first one, po- uh, not posthumous. Yeah. Uh, in this war, um, he's an average Joe guy. He went in the service, average Joe guy. He worked at Subway before he became, you know, Army guy, and Medal of Honor recipient, average Joe. Yeah. Just, uh, is awarded a Medal of Honor, so really cool to hear it from the grassroots. You know, yeah, That's what's unique. So the, the skydiving
0: event was to raise money, and you've done some other crazy things to raise money for this group. <laughs> and, and we'll get to the crazier ones, but it, to me, one of the one of the semi crazy is you ran a hundred miles from what Waco to Dallas continuously. Yes, sir. That's crazy. Uh, <laughs> And and from what I understand, all this all these events you do, you're you're really not trained for it. So you just kind of, you, clearly you're fit, but you're not like a ultra marathoner. No, and you just said I'm going to go run a hundred miles.
2: Yeah, it, they kind of hit me, and I, I think that's what my parents want to kick my ass for because I just never stop doing this stuff that puts them on high alert. But you know, if you want a big return, you got to go big, and. You know, if I'm gonna do anything, it's gotta to be to help people out. You know, I see a lot of things happening today. They're extraordinary things. But imagine if you did something extraordinary and then raised money for people who need it more than us. That's why we do what we do. So hundred miles, yeah, it seemed like a hell of a lot. And I trust me, I was talking to everybody and their mother and recruiting different, you know, coaches and looking at the science behind it. But yeah, I trained for about two months, ran around White Rock Lake a couple times <laughs> and it was just It's it's forward accelerated motion. Like my buddy Chad told me, he's like, you know, just one foot in front of the other continuously, for not a hundred miles. You don't think about a hundred miles. Just continue it, and you will finish. Everything has an end. Yeah, it's a hundred percent mortality rate. We know that for sure. Yeah, everything has an end, and so just do it. And it's my buddy. He's just another guy in the community. He's like, hey man, just do the work, and that's it. Just do the work. Don't complain, just get it done. And it was hard to complain when you're doing it for something so much greater than what you, you know, who you are. How long did it take you? Just over 24 hours. And what time of the year did you do it? Uh, let's see. So I did it in May, about 95 degrees okay. out. Yeah, it was a weird. It's still warm. It was horrible. Yeah. <laughs> that part was really, really crappy. I mean, it's just, there's points where you start to mentally try to defeat yourself. Your brain, brain, uh, brain plays tricks on you. Um, But you always have your support team around you that's motivating you. And there's super glimpses of brilliance that came out every now and then that would just spike you back into 100 miles an hour. So how did it morph into
0: extreme sports?
2: You know, I've always been avid into extreme sports. Um, Some of the lesser extreme, extreme sports, um, so like snowboarding, surfing, things that are unique, um, but nothing really death-defying. But I always admire those guys and girls that went out there and did that stuff. And it's just I always admired somebody who could take their fears and harness them and then just move it, move it forward. Um, I was lucky enough to meet a guy through another teammate of mine who is a base jumper, and I was like, "Hey, what does it take to do some base jumping?" And he said, "Man, you got to go through this uh, pro this curriculum so we can get you set up if you want, and I'll take you out on your first jump course to uh, Twin Falls, Idaho. We'll jump off a uh, 400-foot 400, 400 bridge," and I was like. Holy cow. I'm so in. That's awesome. So I went out to uh, San Diego, did my training course, jumped. And then uh, we went out to Twin Falls, Idaho. And yeah, that first jump, like, uh, just no matter what, every base jump to me is scary because you just, you got to plan for the worst. I mean, you always set yourself up for the best outcome, but you got to plan for the worst. And it's serious. It's, I mean, wingsuit base jumping is the number one deadly sport in the world right now um there's a lot of factors that go into why it is but my first jump you don't know anything and so you're just making a leap of faith and then once you get to the ground you're like okay i got that one out all the jitters are just shaking out and now i can start to really learn and craft the first one's always gnarly and so yeah taking a step off that bridge and kind of just surrendering yourself to a ground that keeps getting closer and closer every split second you're like Open, 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 open. Okay, good. Ooh. And then you might even hear a little bit of a girl scream. So when you're standing on the ledge and you have
0: to take that jump, I mean, to me, that's, that's the part where, you know, you talk about being born a Navy SEAL. This is where I'm going to be born a weenie because I'm not taking that jump. Yeah. That would be so scary.
2: Yeah. It, well, it and is. you still experience that today you still feel that if you don't feel any kind of fear whatsoever in anything that you're doing that requires fear or gives or adds fear then you should not be doing it i mean fear is your friend and so just knowing when i stand on the side of a building inside the building looking in the window i still get a little bit of a pit feeling in my stomach yeah uh, so that
0: doesn't go away
2: doesn't go away it's overcoming it it's yeah. being able to deal with it and then push it to the side and get through it. That's the key. And so one of my uh, coaches actually says it's the most primal thing that you can do is jumping off an inanimate object. And after doing it, I was like, you're right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you are so right. Yeah. How many base jumps have you done to date? Since the beginning of this project uh, that we started uh, base jumping, I've got almost 60 now. Wow. So all around the world. And and w- in y- y- You've jumped off buildings uh buildings, so yep so, uh, so base jumping stands for four different things, and there's so it's uh building antenna span bridge, and earth, yes, and then there's obviously another one there's o for other, which would be like a hot air balloon, okay, um, different makeshifts, so yeah i jumped I haven't jumped all of the objects yet, have you owed yet uh, i did the I did the hot air balloon <laughs> yeah, and it was wild okay, yeah, okay. and then we went to Switzerland and uh did the uh, earth and We jumped the auger the last day we were there, which is over 10,000 feet. It's just an absolute epic base jump. And, yeah, I mean, it's just overdrive of emotions. Um, And so that's the cool thing about the sport is you got to man up and do it because it's an individual sport, but we did a four-way jump, so all of us jumped together at the same time. So at least if it's an individual sport and you have to pay the man if you screw up, at least you're going with your brothers. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So at what point did you
0: start doing the wingsuit?
2: Uh, not too long ago, actually. Um, so, you know, it's a progression thing in this sport. So you always want to just study your craft and get better. And you don't want to accelerate through this sport too fast. Uh, that's where you get a lot of these uh, fatalities. People just want to jump in too quick and they want to get into wingsuit flying when they haven't even perf- you know, perfected their skydiving. Um, there's just a multiple things that happen. So really respecting the sport and knowing that someday you'll get to it, but just take your time and understand and hone your craft uh, I went out to San Diego, uh, my coach is Yo-Yo, a German crazy guy, uh, fine wingsuit pilot, just absolute extraordinary teacher, and uh, yeah, it's, for me, I'm very good at screwing things up to the highest level when I do, I don't just screw it up a little bit where you just don't even think about it twice, I will always remember my first wingsuit jump because it was an absolute mess. If you took if you could have taken a crumpled piece of paper and thrown it out of a plane, that's exactly what I looked like. <laughs> I was all over the place. I was flapping and you can see my coach Yo Yo from his camera footage, he's just sitting there laughing, flying, <laughs> as I'm just every I'm falling at an accelerated speed and I'm picking up more speed and I'm in a flat spin and then I'm vertic I'm challenging all axis of turning. I mean, it was like, okay, this is totally not how I'm going out, right? make it through eight years of war and where did you do that first wing in san diego in san diego yeah wow. and uh so we got to the ground and I, of course you know obviously it was a successful jump after that i got back on point and started flying a little bit and then pulled and landed on the ground and was very very thankful to be feet on the ground and of course then i see the big smile of my coach because he's like well how was that you know <laughs> more exciting than me landing he's like Tell me about that jump.
1: What is what is the option if, if you're out of control? You're 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 new to this, right? You're 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 in the bowl, the salad mixer, so to speak. Um, do you just get to an altitude where you just pull the chute and you give up? Yeah. I mean, I mean you, what's 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 the corrective measure when you're when you find yourself in that situation as a novice?
2: So you don't want to. I mean, so you're you're a novice in wingsuit flying, but you're not a novice of the skydiving community. Yeah. And so you always have to revert back to your basics. And so you already have that. And with that level of jumps, you need a minimum of 200 skydives in order to start base jumping or wingsuit flying. So you know how to deal with situations when they arise. You've been through some situations. Um, They always say arch, you know. So you have to close down the wingsuit because that's what's giving you the problems. So you have to close it down from any air that fills up inside of it and then revert back to the basics. So you arch and you arch hard. You got to stay calm and collected. Mm -hmm. So if you just are completely out of control and you just throw your parachute, there's a big chance you're going to have a real problem, a real malfunction. Yeah. So you really want to get yourself stable. I mean, number one thing is, you know, altitude awareness, stabilize, get it going again. Um, In whatever order, I mean, it's hard to really think through everything when you're spinning out of control on every axis. But that's exactly what I had to do. I had to close up my wingsuit because I knew that nothing was working um, and just arch and then just keep your head on a swivel looking for, okay, what's up, what's down, Mm -hmm. And then, all right, here we go. Let's level it out. Check altitude, start hound heading, fly, you know, just do what's working. Don't try to fight it. And then, you know, get to the ground, reassess.
0: And so how did all this morph into the Bird's Eye View project?
2: So I've been running an organization, Sons of the Flag, for four years now, and we've been helping a lot of individuals. And it's been an epic journey. I mean, there's nothing like being able to help somebody who is in such desperate need of help. A burn is a severe injury that never goes away. And so being able to aid somebody who's been through that horrific injury is just, it's an overwhelming um, feeling um, of joy. We had specifically helped an individual that we'd been working on for a while. And we shared it with a lot of our friends. We shared it on social media. And we didn't get a lot of buzz off social media about helping this particular individual. And I was really bummed about that, you know, because we helped them. Now, it's not about seeking recognition, but just sharing the fact that this organization is effective was a right. key. A couple of weeks after that, you know, I was asked by uh, some of my friends over at Dallas Cowboys to do the Veterans Day uh, Game Coin Repel. I uh, repelled a canine dog into the uh, stadium for uh, the Game Coin Toss. And so we did, and the NFL ended up scooping it up, posting it on their social media, and within a couple of minutes, we had over like a million likes or Two million likes, something like that, something crazy. And while everybody was cheering, which I knew it was gonna be cool because nobody's really seen that, I was pretty pissed off. Cause I'm like, you know what, this is so insignificant and not important. I know it's cool to watch, but it's not nearly as important as helping somebody who's gone and fought for our country and needs our help while they're still suffering today and we're enjoying this. So I was really pissed off and in that moment I looked at it, and I said, Okay, in one hand I have a patient that we helped. And i right. in a charity. And in another hand, I have extreme sport that we just did that's viral. What if we combined the two and then turned it into a charity and raised a whole hell of a lot of money for organizations like ourselves and many others around the country? Bird's Eye View Project was born. Extreme sports for extreme needs. Let's get viral videos going on crazy stuff we're doing. Let's take them through an epic journey watching me struggle through it all because I am not a professional athlete. I am not a professional skydiver, base jumper, wingsuit pilot. But they're going to learn from a guy who's grassroots on how do you get into this sport, how do you do it, what is so hard about it, every step of the way on this awesome adventure. But the most important part about it is while it draws you in to see some extreme stuff, it really teaches you how to give back, and it gives you the attitude as to how you can give back. It shows you these different organizations that are vetted and approved, they're kicking ass out there, and they're all personal friends of mine. Right. You know, I chose this list of veteran or veteran first responder charities because I know these people, and I know they're doing great work. So we've been very fortunate. We have a lot of organizations, some local to Dallas, and some that are national. Most of them have a national reach, um, but all and of them are And how many of them are there? There are 11 charities, and so we were going at... We weren't sure what the number was going to be, but we kind of just said, "Hey, you know, we submitted the application. Anybody who wants to sign up, please do." We started having applications come in the door, and after approval processes, which were done offsite by a different group, um, we brought back 11 that we're everybody felt comfortable with, and. We're very thankful to have them all as partners. Can,
1: can you name, just? just I, mean, I don't want to leave anybody out, if you can name all 11, that's great, but just
2: what, what those charities are. You bet. So uh, we have Sons of the Flag, of course. Yes. Uh, it's, I, I happen to know the person who works there. Yeah, I heard he's a good guy. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's he's all right. Um, we've got Carry the Load, which is based out of Dallas, has a national presence. Um, we have the Adapt, Adaptive Training Foundation, which is also out of Dallas. Um, and all of these are on the Bird's Eye View Project's website. We have the Aspen Aspen Valley Ski and Snowboard Club. And it's unique because it's a ski and snowboard club, but they have an adaptive training portion for veterans who are missing limbs to get back on the hill and reintegrate. Uh, We have a unique firefighters organization called the uh, Rosecrans Florian Program. So it's to help firefighters with post-traumatic stress, traumatic brain injury, substance abuse, and mental health issues. uh, And it's the only one of its kind in the country for firefighters. Uh, we have America's Mighty Warriors, ran by Debbie Lee, who is the mother of the first Navy SEAL KIA in the Iraq War. Mm. Um, we have Base Camp Forty, which is a unique organization for military veterans to get back into the field, back out in the country and hunt, and just they call Base Camp Forty for that reason. And uh, Chris Kyle helped found that one, uh, or it was part of that organization, but uh, just a great deal. Uh, There's many other organizations that are out there. Another one that's created by some Green Berets called the Duskin and Stevens Foundation, uh, giving scholarships to children of the lost or the fallen. And so it really looked at every facet of injury that there is and said, how can we really plug and play with these organizations and really support what they're doing? And
1: and tell tell our audience what your fundraising goal is and then um, tie that into the the, the big culmination of of a stunt that you're going to perform
2: um, two years from now. Sure. So, you know, initially starting, we're like, how much money are we going to raise for this thing? Because it's got to be massive. But you know what? In an organization, you specifically go to a person. You say, you know, this is what we're doing. This is what we need help with. Can you help us? uh, Can you financially help us with this? Uh, And that's well and good, but you only have so many hours in a day to communicate with somebody to tell them your story. But one thing that a lot of charities miss is the masses of people that can cut a small donation. So let's go after them. Let's team up together, all 11 of us, and go after the United States of America on one joint fundraiser, a national fundraiser. So a $5 subscription fee to start, kicks it off, gets you in the door where you can watch the video. Uh, And so you maximize that, 2 million people, that's 10 million bucks. My goal is 500K for each charity at the end of this project, two-year project. And I think we're going to do quite well. You know, you get people inspired, extreme sports gets them in the door because everybody wants to watch cool video. When you really start to realize that this isn't just some random cat or former seal doing this, you know, event or adventure, but why is he doing it? That question I always come back to, why? You know, there are so many people in this country right now that are both veteran and first responder that are struggling. And unfortunately, our government is not good enough to take care of them all. That's why we're, our organizations exist. And they are lower-level organizations that do not have deep pockets to fund their marketing department. They don't even have them. But how does a soldier who's struggling, who needs to get to that place, know about it if they, they're not public? Well, we're going to figure it out. We're going to tell them all. So you can think of the Birdseye View Project as an independent marketing arm for these organizations to get their word out there, to spread the awareness, and bring some funding back.
1: So people pay a subscription fee, and, and they, go, they go to the Bird's Eye. Uh yeah, birdseyeviewproject.com. Dot org. Dot org. I'm sorry. So birdseyeviewproject.org. They 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 sign up for the service or it's a, it's a donation in the form of a subscription, a monthly subscription. Correct. And I assume that they can commit at varying levels. Correct. Okay. So they get access to the video content. Um, is it video content of just you or are there other folks involved that are doing these extreme sports and jumping off insane Buildings or or you know wing sluot
2: piloting um. so we have a team that okay. so there's multiple characters that are involved in this project because like i said it 's all team effort, but we 're also weaving in the charities themselves with the patients they uh, work with okay. to really let them tell their story because it 's not just a Scottdi and even so at the end of the day, if we raised you know ten twelve million bucks and i didn 't even have to pull off a crazy stunt and risk my life okay i 'm in yeah. <laughs> you know, that 's awesome. That's- but at least you know getting this started and getting people edged, and, you know, sitting on the edge of their seats and saying, "Okay, I want to be part of this. I want to feel like I'm part of it." And you can think about: it. you make a five dollar donation. A couple million people in the world or in the country decide to make that. You've diversified your five dollar donation so I mean so majorly. I mean across the yeah. across the gamut. So it's a unique way that we're doing it. It's completely different than what's out there. But what I'm really trying to instill in people is that here's our, here's good ways for you to give back to real deal organizations. I'm not saying that if you're not part of our project, you're not an awesome organization. I just happen to know these, and they're we vetted them. Um, but it's a good way to give back. Here's their story. This is what they provide. So that soldier sitting there on the couch thinking about maybe this is not, I'm not happy in my life right now. Here's a way for you uh, uh, to fix yourself. Um, same with the firefighters. And also, it's just a, a cool deal for organizations to start learning how to partner together because there's too many of us.
0: And I was going to say you're putting your money where your mouth is, but really I think what it is is you're putting your ass where your mouth is because <laughs> you're, you're going out there risking your life and, and you're married and you have a baby due, right? That's right. So there's a lot to lose, but you're going out and doing this for a great cause and, and, and you know... God bless you for doing it. Hopefully everything goes well. So
1: so what What about this The stunt? I think that that's, you know, to the extent that you can share information about what you're going to attempt to pull off two years from now, what, what can you share with our audience sure. about what that is and when that will occur?
2: Okay. Well, Brad, I appreciate you saying that. That means a lot. Um, and we're very calculated in what we're doing. That's why I have coaches around me every step of the way. So... You know, we're just hoping that if anything, I'm more worried about a broken ankle than anything like that. Um, but what day at a time. Yeah. So the stunt itself was supposed to be so epic that nobody would try it. Because if you can build something up to this epic deal, everybody's going to want to be a piece and get a piece of it. Uh-huh. So we're thinking about it like a pay per view fight night. You know, everybody wants to see the final show. Final show. Let's give them one. Yeah. It's like Evil Knievel
0: jumping the Snake River.
2: Evil can could be my water boy on this one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's strong,
2: by the way. Yeah, that, that, he's that. a stud, and I will tell you what, you know, that is a legacy, and we all look up to him. But
1: no, is, I know what is you're saying.
2: crazy. Yeah. So the idea behind it was simple. There's some extreme sports that I really am passionate about. There's base jumping. There's wingsuit flying. There's snowboarding, and I was like, you know what? Wouldn't that be cool if I could put all three of them together?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: so my idea is to travel two different mountains on a snowboard but unassisted getting from those two mountains on a wingsuit so the idea I really can't go into much more detail than that because there's a lot more involved and there's actually more to the stunt than meets the eye what I just said but essentially I'm going to be on a snowboard and a wingsuit doing base jumping all in Alaska at 16, 17000 feet and, and, and when, when is this
1: going to occur?
2: Right now we're planning on uh, May time frame of 2018 in Alaska, uh, closer to Denali area. So uh, we're looking at Mount Deborah and Mount Hayes right now.
1: Um, and I'm assuming that you'll want Brett and I to be there to live podcast yes. the event? of course. Okay. Bring your yeah. warmies <laughs> and wingsuits. No. Bring your warmies and wingsuits. So that's, that's incredible. So do you make the people that you work with, your coaches or whoever knows about this, sign a non-disclosure agreement? I mean, oh, is yeah. there I mean, something binding?
2: Yeah, I mean, so the thing is, there are not too many people that will attempt what we're about to attempt. It's not – excuse me, it's not Care, – Careful, Rob might steal this. Yeah. <laughs> make you sign Hey, one. I don't need to put
1: on a wingsuit. I just spread my, my arms and I fly. There you go. The, hey you're the Birdman, yeah, huh? yeah no absolutely it's All the right.
2: fat it's the fat that keeps me up <laughs> so not many people would attempt it and it's not that it's just so insurmountable or it's just it's the biggest thing that's ever been done before but it's because it's so awkward you know there's many different ways to pull off stunts that are somewhat similar but the specific way we're going about it is it's very awkward and so it's not something that'll ever become mainstream um Or progressive, it's just a unique deal that's a one of a kind that takes a lot of discipline. The reason that it costs us so much to put this thing together and the reason that we worked for a couple years on it is because it takes that much dedication specific to that training for that stunt to get it done. Hmm. So, you know, at the end of this, I'll be, I won't say that I'll be a professional, but I'll be pretty, pretty good in all disciplines of skydiving or sports. Um, But it's all because of this one stunt. So one one thing that you mentioned
1: before we started recording, I mean Brett Brett referenced the fact that you're you're married and, and you're expecting child. Um, how long do you plan on participating in these extreme sports or pulling a stunt off like what you're going to do two years
2: from now? When when will you hang it up? So once we pull the event off, I'm hanging it up. I'm going to leave it there because. I'm a guy who likes to always go big, and I, for some reason, I always like to top them, my last venture. Mm-hmm. And I know for a fact that there's no, for me, there's no topping this venture. So I'm hanging it up. I'll be very comfortable with, you know, we've put a lot of heartache and soul into this project. We've had a lot of upsets with this project already. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is, you know, I'll feel really good going out with this one, no matter which way it ends up. I always think that we're going to end up crushing this thing, but no matter what. The end goal is not the stunt. The end goal is how much awareness can we bring to these organizations? Sure. How many uh, veterans and first responders can we help? How much money can we raise for them? And while we're at it, let's go do something cool and crazy.
1: Do you, do you think that you'll be able to handle being grounded, so to speak? I mean, you're, you're, you, you've, you've excelled in some high-adrenaline, high-pressure situations. You've succeeded. And then when, when that is no longer a part of your life, do you feel like, in essence, you'll lose a part of yourself? And, and maybe not, but if you do, um, or if that does happen, how do you, beside family, you know, maybe that is the answer, your wife, your, your, your newborn baby, how do, you, how do you replace that rush, mm-hmm. that adrenaline?
2: Well, I'll tell you what, I, I've thought long and hard about it since we started this. Um, I love my wife with all my heart, and I was lucky that I found somebody special with her that we click the way we do. Um, She's everything to me, Mm -hmm. and now that we're blessed to have a baby boy coming, um, I've always wanted to be a dad, and there's nothing cooler in life, there's nothing more extreme in life than being able to raise a child, and just the joy that I see in all my friends. I, I have no issues with hanging up the extreme stuff. Because there's nothing more extreme, I'm sure, than seeing your kid, you know, win a score, a soccer goal, or whatever it may be. Or Snapchat. Or Snapchat, yeah. Snapchat, not so much.
0: Well, I was about to say, you know, you can start channeling that energy into your son's sports. Yeah. Which most parents end up doing.
2: You know, i tell you what, though. I I like, we are going, I mean, we're going 100 miles an hour right now. I mean, we're geared to do that in life, but at some point, you want to get some peace and balance, and... I'm really looking forward to the balance. You know, I'm looking forward to doing this. I want to set us up for success and multiple other orgs. And then, you know, after that, let's just let's have fun and, and and relax and enjoy our accomplishments and you know, let the let's pass the torch on because I know there's a crazy son of a bitch that's right down the street who's gonna say, Hey, I got the next one. I'm gonna be like, You got it, bro. Here's the torch. Yeah. How high is your life insurance premium? You should ask Lloyds of London. <laughs> you should get paid for saying that one.
0: So you're doing events leading up to Operation Miracle Jump. Correct. Right? Correct. So, so for our listeners, they can go to birdseyeviewproject.org. Correct. And sign up today, and they start getting footage and updates on where this is happening. Because it's not just
2: what's happening two years from now. There's a lot leading up to it, right? That's right. So what will happen is you go up to uh, birdseyeviewproject.org and sign up. Um, You'll see the trailer video to start, and there's no other footage, but it gives you time right now to read on the charities that we're supporting. Uh, We're getting ready to release the first video. Um, We've been holding off on it. We had to retool everything. Um, But once we release the first video, everybody who's signed up will get an email saying, go to the page, see the video, and then they'll be able to continue to follow along. And
1: they'll be able to see or view videos of... Uh, veterans affected, you know, by whatever, right? To try to drive home and make the make this fundraising effort,
2: if you will, more personal and more human, you know. And of course, that's your core focus. That's right. I think the first video. I, have, I haven't actually never seen the first video myself. I've done all this legwork and jumped off all these crazy objects, and I still haven't seen it. But <laughs> I think the first one really tells the backstory. Um, and it'll be archived, so you'll always be able to defer to it. Um, and then after that, we'll start releasing the videos to tailor to the veteran first responder charities um, so that we really weave the stories in because, like I said, it's cool to see the extreme sports, but that's not the mission. So. All right, so
0: tell us one more time, where do our uh, listeners need to go to support your groups? Because you got Sons of the Flag and Birds of the View Project. So tell them real quick.
2: To support the extreme sports adventure, go to the bird, birdseyeviewproject.org. And sign up today. And if anybody knows a burned patient, anybody gets burned, or anybody wants to support an organization uh, to help burn patients, go to SonsOfTheFlag.org and sign up. We got a lot of things, cool, uh, a lot of cool things going on both sides, and we have some hell of a team behind each one of them. And uh, hey, it's a little hard work. You can change the world.
1: Go big or go home, right? Yeah, baby.
0: <laughs> Ryan, thanks a ton for joining us. This has been so much fun. It's great. It's Ryan Birdman Parrot. To support his organizations, go to birdseyeviewproject.org and donate. Go to sonsoftheflag.org and donate there, too. This has been the Insignificant Others podcast. For Rob Flint, I'm Brett Featherston. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Oh yeah.